0: Thank you, thank you, thank you, we thank you, we worship you. Oh, thanks for joining us. We're just going to go straight into today's teaching, you know. Um, last week, Tuesday, we um, looked at verses 4, 5, and 6. You know, verses 5 says that um, even when we, we are dead, hallelujah, in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, ye are saved, or you have been saved, like Luke King James Version says. Hallelujah. And I just feel today, just for us to sit on that verse again for a little bit, before we move on, you know, at times it's good to squeeze out all the juice (laughs) from the fruit before you discard it. That verse 5 is so, so, so important. You know, Paul wrote the book of Romans and um, when you look at the book of Romans, it was more about righteousness than law, struggle with sin. But the bulk of it, the beginning of it, basically the first, you know, five, six, you know, chapters of Romans, he dealt with righteousness. And righteousness was what God dealt to us to make us acceptable, acceptable. Remember in the Old Testament the Bible says that all our righteousness are as filthy rags, meaning there's nothing we could do on our own to deserve, uh, to deserve to be um, accepted by God. No matter, even the fulfill, fulfilling the laws. I mean, the Bible says it is like filthy rags. It was just a shadow of something to come, which has now come in our day. So no matter how hard you try to please God, by your works. Truly, truly, you can't. There is this thing in human nature that when you put effort, your effort would be rewarded, if you know what I mean. That is why if you carry out a task and you don't get rewarded for that task, you don't get complimented for that task, you don't get uh, paid for that task, you feel used. You feel used. No, even in the family, when the wife perceives that what she has done deserves commendation from the husband and the husband doesn't give it, she feels used. She feels, oh, he doesn't um, value me. He doesn't regard me. You know, because human nature tells us that when you put effort, you should be rewarded, even with the word of thanks. But when it comes to us and God, Opposite is the case. When you put your own efforts trying to please God, you don't do Him anything. Say all our righteousness, all our works, to be accepted, is like filthy rags. And the word "filthy rags" from that scripture was what uh, was. You Will know, like I say? Um, was 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 a picture. And permit to say this: it was a picture. Of the cloth that women use for their monthly cycle, you know how filthy it is, how surgy and nasty it is. Before God, that is how your righteousness is. So there's nothing, there's no effort from you that appeases him. So, do you know what he did? He gave us his righteousness and beyond giving us his righteousness he made us righteous let me read this popular scripture for you from second corinthians chapter 5 second corinthians chapter 5 hallelujah i read the last verse verse 21 say something for he made him who knew no sin to be seen for us, for that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. So that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. So, what happened to the unbeliever that God saved? is that God did not make him righteous. And, and I used to preach that. I was like, God made us righteous. Oh, God impacted, imputed his righteousness on us through Christ Jesus. As as, as, as true as that statement is, it's not entirely what, what God did for us. You know, it is part of what God did for us. Or oh, let me put it this way. It is the fallout of what God did for us. i read that scripture again. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become, that we might become. So to become something means that you you used to be something before, right? Then now you are something else. So we used to be unrighteous. We used to live in sin and squalor. Don't forget the first three verses of the chapter 2. We are dead in sin. So what happened was that God made us righteous. We became righteous. Now the question is, what kind of righteousness did we become? We became the righteousness of God. God did not give us his righteousness. No, we became it. Why I'm taking time to explain that is that so you understand this Ephesians 2 verse 5. I spoke about it in passing, you know, last week when I talked about Jesus introducing himself as the resurrection. The resurrection and the life. The resurrection, the life. You know, the thing about us in in, in Christendom is that we always go to God to collect something from Him. And that's always been our mentality. Whenever we come to God, we are collecting. That is why more people attend prayer meeting than they attend Bible study. That this young lady that, you know, we all, you know, grew up, and she, at a point, she, she, of course, she had a calling of God on her life. You know, as a daughter of a minister, she's following her her father's calling, and she's pursuing it. So when she got into ministry, she started doing all this prophetic thing. She wants to, she wants to be called prophet, prophesying, prayer, always prophesying, seeing, and all that. I see this for you. I see that for you. God, let me prophesy to you. God, let me see vision for you. As um, nothing is wrong with that, if you know what I mean, but, it's a lot was speaking with her, and she said she had an encounter with God, that God told her, to stop all this, prophesy, 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 pray, pray, prophesy, pray, pray, prophesy, prophesy pray, see vision and all that, and get into, teaching the word of God, and get into, discipling people, and I was like, that is really, really interesting, and I said, hey, I'm sure you heard from God. There's nothing wrong with prophesying. It's part of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. A prophet uh, is part of the fivefold ministry. But, 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 there's another dimension of God as a believer we need to get to. We should not always go to God to get from God, we should not always come to God to see what we can receive. We should learn, learn to develop a relationship with God. And like I said last week, Tuesday, and permit me to use this grammar, and I hope it uh, delivers the message in context. Don't always see God as a verb, as a doing word. Someone there with supernatural powers able to do something for you. And of course, you can do that. We know that. I'm not discountenancing discounting that. What I am saying is, let's mature, let's mature, let's grow, let's live childish things and get to a height in our Christianity where we go to God to have a relationship with him. You know, the Bible says that once, that's Paul speaking, he said, once I used to be a child, I felt like a child, I behaved like a child. But I say go to a point in his life that he left, dropped, discarded, childish things. So, it comes a time in a believer's life, you need to do that. Let go of childish things. It is time to mature as a son. The difference between a child and a son is that a son is responsible my first son i've driven this message into his head at the beginning he struggled with it but he got it i had to teach him as the first he is responsible for his other brothers his two brothers that he's carrying a weight of responsibility on his shoulders to the extent if they are together and the younger ones did something wrong I will blame him. I and mean, he I used to confuse him. See, but I wasn't the one that did it. I didn't do that. And he tries to like make a case for himself. I say, yes, you didn't do it. But you are supposed to be the responsible one. You're supposed to be the eldest among them. You need to act like it. What a responsible child does is when he or she sees the children, the irresponsible ones, going astray, doing something that is outside the laws of the family. He should call them to book. I said, don't do this. Don't do that. So it gets to a point in your Christian life, you need to mature. You you need to, like Paul said, leave childish things and move on to maturity. So we get to a point in our life, that doesn't mean we will not ask God for anything. That doesn't mean we should not, you know, believe him to do something for us. No. But the time spent with him is usually time spent getting to know him. Getting to know the heart of, his, of the father. Because when you get to know the heart of the father, you become more responsible as a son. Because you will strive your best. To do your father's will. And that's exactly what Jesus became and did. You know, he said, Unto us, a child is born, but he did not remain a child. Kids, children, babies are born, but responsibility, when you've come fully into your responsibility, you become a son. The Bible says, And unto us, a son. Is given a child is born, they know they don't know anything better. They will cry whenever they are hungry to be fed, whenever they are uncomfortable, they cry, whenever they feel lonely, they cry. Everything they want, they cry. Ah, that's all they know. They can't even change their diapers for themselves, they can't even feed themselves. They need somebody to help them, and that's the way we were all that's that's the way we all were when we gave our lives to Christ, we are children, but in the process of time, we needed to grow and mature. No parent, having delivered a child as a baby, wants to see that child three years down the line, remain a baby. Ten years down the line, remain a baby. Twenty years down the line, remain a baby. No parents want that. In fact, they'll be so uncomfortable. They'll be so restless if their five-year-old child cannot walk. If their five-year-old child cannot speak, cannot make out legible words, they will be so worried. Why? It is abnormal that after the process of time, growth did not occur. And after a process of time, that child, though has grown past babyhood, is still a baby it makes the parent restless so is god he makes him so restless when as his children we don't grow to take responsibility for ourselves and in his house so what am i saying this verse 5 of Ephesians 5 of Ephesians 2 said that even when we were dead in trespasses he made us alive How did God make us alive? He made us alive by giving us his life. Hallelujah. I wanted to bring something to show you. Okay, maybe on Sunday, make sure you join me on Easter Sunday and on Good Friday for service. Oh, it's going to be awesome. On Sunday, I'm going to show you something remarkable about how god made us alive and i'm going to use a word picture to show that to you he gave us his life and i always say put it this way when i walked into the studio to record i didn't leave my head outside i didn't leave my limbs outside i walked in with my body intact When Jesus walked into your life, because salvation means Jesus walking into your life through His Spirit, which is the Holy Spirit. When He walked into our life, like I told you last week, the power company of God walked into your life. He didn't make us alive by plugging us to power. He made us alive by putting the nuclear reactor, the source of power, the power generator inside of us so when jesus walked into our life he walked with his righteousness because he's righteous that's another place i read for you corinthians the bible says that he so that we might become the righteousness of god he didn't give us righteousness we became it because when jesus walked into your life There was a fusion of Christ and Pastor B. There was a fusion of Christ and you. Together, you became an alloy that cannot be separated. Join me on Sunday. I'm going to show you something remarkable about salvation. About this Ephesians 2 verse 5. That will change your life. And catapult you from childish things to sonship. To sonship. Where you rule and reign as the son of God that you are, you don't you no longer come to God like a baby begging for manna. You come to God like a son. You no longer run away from the enemy, Satan and little little devils. You approach them and attack them like a son. You command them sternly in the name of Jesus to stop their oppression, and they will no. When you've caught that revelation as a son. When you speak as a son that you are. Or as the daughter of God that you are. We usually use son for both male and female. Because at the beginning, God made man. God made man. And called man male and female. So if you're a lady, you are man. You are man. You are a son. Hallelujah. Because how God sees us, he doesn't see us as... As, it doesn't see me as as male. He doesn't see me as female. If you know what I mean, he sees all of us as man that he created at the beginning. He sees all of us as as his son. So that word "son" I keep using is for both male and female because he made man. He made both, both man, both male and female. Hallelujah. So you approach Satan as the son that you are. And you check him out when you understand this verse (laughs) 5. I repeat again, you were not plugged into the power of God. No, the power of God himself moved into you. So the same way I walked into this studio, my head followed me in, my arm followed me in, my clothes followed me in. When Jesus walked into your life, hallelujah, he walked in with his righteousness. He didn't leave his righteousness outside and sprinkled it on you. No, 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 no. Because the righteous Christ walked into you and you became fused with him. Everything Christ is, you are. That is why Ephesians is a critical gospel for every believer. You truly cannot step into your new creation realities until you understand the book of Ephesians. Why? What God created, God created and not that species of being. Oh. oh. Oh, Lord, Lord, Lord. Help me, help me, help me, help me. Glory be to God. Sweet Holy Spirit, let your word be made simple so that your people will understand. See, 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 see. I'll explain this further on Sunday. I'm just laying the foundation. You know, the Bible says something in Acts chapter 8. Verse, uh, when reading for verse 4 and all that, and these were like angels speaking. say What is man that thou art mindful of him? And I said, The son of man that thou visited him. And he went on to say that you made him a little lower than angels. And that is wrong translation. When you go back to the original Hebrew Aramaic, the word there is not angels. We were not made a little lower than angels. No, no, no. Angels are our servants. People below you, right? People below you cannot serve you. Sorry, people above you cannot serve you. It's only those below you that serve you. So if you as man, you are made a little lower than angels, that means angels are above you. You know, some people have taken that scripture literally that they worship angels. There are some sects that worship angels. And yet, when you study the Bible, every time an angel of the Lord appears and man, because of the apparition, want to, you know, observe, um, worship or to worship them. They always reject it. Say, hey, don't worship us. Why? The angels know their position. They know their position in the hierarchy. They know that they are not higher than us. They know that they are our our servants. And the book of Hebrews chapter 1 tells us that. It says, see, that the angels are ministering spirits sent to do what? Minister to us who shall be. Minister to Pastor B who is now Heir of salvation. So, immediately you accept Christ into your life and you become a partaker of the gift of salvation, angels become your servants. See, we are sons of a king. And when you get to a king's court, there are a plethora of servants everywhere. All kinds of servants. Servants, that their job is just to cut your nails. That's your work, servant. That their job is just to make your hair and cut your hair. That's your work. Every little chore in the house of a king has one person that takes care of it. We are sons of it of the king. In our family, we also have servants. Now, these servants we are created for this job. There are different kinds of them, though. There are some that attempt to our father alone. You see them, the high class of angels like the cherubim and the seraphim. Then there is the archangel. The archangel are territorial spirits. They're usually in charge of nations, communities, and all that. Then there are other angels that do this work. I'm talking about messenger angels. They are at our disposal. Whenever we go to God and make a request, an angel is sent to bring the word of God, to bring the answers to your request to you. So they work for us. So anytime you stand in prayer and you speak the word, you activate these servants to work for you. So you cannot, in that place, in, in Psalms chapter 8, verse 4, Believe that we are below angels, the word there is Elohim. The man that translated the Bible into the King James Version, I think in 1614 or 1611 or thereabout, when they saw that, they were like, Oh, oh, this can be right, which is the exact thing I started with this in, at the beginning. Because there's this in man that feels that we are unworthy, that we need to walk. <laughs> Hallelujah. We need to do something. So, uh, let me put it this way. There isn't a man that believes that we need to earn it. That nothing is given to us for free. That you need to earn it. So when they saw that, that that scripture says, In original Aramaic Hebrew, that what is man, that thou art mindful of him, that you have made him so much so, so highly exalted that you just made him, just made him a little lower than God, than Elohim. They said, "No, hey, hey, that we are just mere men, that we are, we are unworthy men. How can we just be a little lower than God? No, it's not possible." So they changed it to angels. That's why if you have, if you have, if you have a hard copy Bible like King James. That word angel in that place in Sam is in Italics. When you read your King James Bible and you see a word in Italics, that tells you that that translation or that word that was translated was not the right um, original meaning that it was replaced. That's why they put it in Italics to warn you. So when you see those kind of words, go back to the original text and read it from Aramaic Hebrew. That's why when I study my Bible, I always have my strong Hebrew and Greek lexicon with me. Because there's some things I will see, I want to know the original word used, the original meaning, because English is a bit, uh, it's not as robust, especially in the New Testament, as Greek. What God made us is just a little lower than Him. Him, Him, just a little lower. And what made us a little lower than Him is just our flesh. That's why when you read that same scripture in Hebrews chapter 2, they also quoted that scripture in Psalm and now referred that scripture to Jesus Christ. Why? Jesus, when he incarnated, when he was birthed, was also made a little lower than God. Though he is God, he was made a little lower than God because the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10 that a body was prepared for him which he took. He see, see, I come, as it was written of me in the volume of books, to do thy will, O Lord. He said, a body you have prepared for me. So when he incarnated as man, he took up that body, he became a little lower than, than God. When you now read in, in Philippians, it was explained why he left his glory, he left his divinity, he left that thing that made him God in heaven and took the form of man, so he became a little lower than God. That is, Hallelujah! That is what happened to us, because that place in Psalm is a it was a prophecy. He was not talking about Adam or fallen man. No, it was a prophecy. It was a prophecy of another creation. That God will create. (laughs) See, when Christians say they that at salvation they return back to Adam before he fell, I tell them, no, 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 no. That is wrong. When you read again the second Corinthians chapter chapter 5, the Bible says that we are a new creation. New creation. Amplify said. A creation that has never been seen before <laughs> so that means we did not return to Adam because if we return to the way Adam was before the fall that means it has been seen before the Bible will not say a new he would have just said a recreation or because the word "re" means like reply return like if I drink from a cup and I finish drinking the liquid in the cup, and I pour another liquid in it, it is called replenish. Meaning, the cup was full, now it's empty. Replenish it. So, if we were returned back to Adam before the fall, it would have been a recreation or a re-Adam, or whatever. But the Bible did not say that. The Bible says we are a new, 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 new creation, hallelujah. What made us a new creation? <laughs> the entrance of my Lord Jesus into us. The fusion of my human spirit and the Holy Spirit. The the, the spiritual reaction that came out from that thing, that fusion is a new creation that had never existed before. Bear that in mind. <laughs> that is why I'm going to continue on Sunday. I'm going to show you that the new creation is not a mere man. It's not a mere man. That's why the, the preacher says, see, there is an error under the sun he has seen. He says, see, the princes are walking on foot. Why servants are on horseback? Why? It is an error because it is the prince that's supposed to be on horseback being led by the servant, but I would say this is an error. Why the new creation does not realize who or who she is or who he is after he was recreated as salvation, continued living life like a mere man. Hey, that is an error. You are not a mere man, you are a creation that has never existed before. It is a fusion of God and man. That reaction puts Satan on the run. That reaction makes the enemy scared and frightened. That new creation hallelujah is a creation, the Bible says that has been prepared to show forth to showcase the glory, the goodness of God. (laughs) Not only in this world that we are living, not only in this age that we are in, but in the ages to come. That's what the Bible says in verse 7. Hey, my friends, don't miss Easter service. Why? The celebration of Easter is the celebration of the new creation. If we truly understand Easter, we should be throwing parties. You see that mentality we have. <laughs> As human beings, when Christ was born, when we celebrate Christmas, it's festive, hey, festivity parties here and there. But on the flip side, Easter, we don't really celebrate it as, as 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 we celebrate Christmas. We, we're a bit, you know, we try to get into a solemn mood. <laughs> oh, you know, yeah. it's as it's as if. <laughs> In Christmas, we celebrate a birth of a baby and a naming ceremony. But in Easter, we celebrate, we carry out a funeral. Hey! 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 But that is wrong. If we truly know and understand Easter. Hallelujah. If we truly know and understand what happened at that resurrection morning. Hey! You will throw a party. Hallelujah. Because... That resurrection morning, the Bible says that early Sunday morning, hallelujah, when the woman, Mary went to the tomb <laughs> to see how Jesus was, to apply more spices. The Bible says that when she got there, the tomb was open. Glory be to God. Because something has happened. Something is about to be unleashed on earth. Satan has been defeated and an army <laughs> that would checkmate him and put him in his place was about to be bettered it calls for celebration. It calls for celebration.